Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Mighty Shakers podcast, a podcast by the fans, for the fans, where everyone is welcome to listen, even chorus. Today we're joined by Tom, Kate, Elliot and myself, Will. So we're going to start off today with the uh, three match word reviews from our record-breaking game on Saturday, which is 10-1, if you don't remember. We'll start off. We've got a few coming in. We've got Armin to start us off. Thanks for coming. Liam, Skem can't defend. Mo, out bloody standing. Danny, could do better. There's a few laughing face emojis on that. And Andrew Cutley, unbelievable. Um, and I'm going to throw myself in there. Just one word, 10 bonder. I'll also talk about our man of the match for this week. Our man of the match goes to Holland Wilkinson. New signing. Brand new. What did you guys think of his performance? I thought he was excellent. Obviously, he came on second half, I think it was. Oh, no, sorry. It was first half, wasn't it? After the injury. I thought he came on, did a good job, looked lively, pretty direct. And you can't argue with the three goals that he scored. Uh, I think it's a well-deserved man of the match performance. That being said, I think everybody on the pitch was excellent. It was one of those games, wasn't it, where you could, couldn't single anybody out. Everybody played fantastically. Yeah, Holland Wilkinson, I thought. We said in commentary accidentally, Howard Wilkinson at one stage. <laughs> he, he's some real breath of fresh air, isn't he? You can tell he's so direct. Looked like beating his man every time. And fair enough, he's not going to get as easy of a opposition to play against every week, I don't think, because they really did invite pressure with the back three. Therefore, the wings were just completely... Well, Conor Comer in the first half had... Just so much joy. And then he in the second half on the right wings had so much joy. And he deserved his goals. I know they were... The first one was superb, wasn't it? A great move. The second one was a bit fortuitous, the way it passed it back to him. And then the third one, it was a great penalty. So I'm really pleased for him. And uh, my mum actually knows his mum. So it's quite nice to see, you know, on social media, they were like, how proud they are. What, what an amazing debut. So couldn't have gone much better for the lad. But I hope it... I hope it goes better than Joe Duckworth long term. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when that hat trick went in, I said, I don't know if it's a good sign. Yeah. So we know what happened with the last lad. He's from Bury, though, isn't he? Yeah, I believe he went to Haslinden High School. There was a oh. few around us that had been to school with him. And then I did see on Twitter as well a tweet from a previous teacher saying how, how well he's done for himself. And that was, that was good to see. Nice local lad doing well for the club. Long may it continue. Unlike Joe Duckworth. <laughs> no, there, there is a lot of competition, isn't there? And I think on Saturday, I think the subs we made, you can't even compare us to Skem, really, can you, on, on, on that front? Well, in terms of the quality, on the, in terms of the subs as well, when you were thinking, blinking it, you know, all of our subs were, were top quality, weren't they? And it's not often you can say that. Well, four of five scored, didn't they? Mm. <laughs> Believable. I don't know whether that's ever happened in a game before. Four different subs have scored. 
what was it, eight, eight one, and you bring Benito low on. Yeah, <laughs> I think in the first half it wasn't. My worry wasn't the players that were coming on and the quality of the players. It was more that Doyle and Tom Moore were going off injured, and yeah. it was you were looking at that and hoping that that's not a long term slash serious thing. But in terms of the quality coming off the bench, it's it's impressive. Because I have to say, when those injuries happened, I thought, oh my goodness, because you were losing two key players, weren't you, a midfielder and a defender? And I was thinking, ooh, but then you know, <laughs> we didn't know at that stage what was going to unfold. It was insane, wasn't it? Is it the Dave McNabb the Q and A, which was brilliant, by the way? For those who couldn't go, I know Kate was there. Mm. But we were sort of saying where are these new signings going to fit in. That first eleven is pretty much sorted, isn't it? We don't want a situation where if someone gets injured, the replacement isn't of the same quality. So to see them all, Kilner, of course, had to come to what twenty odd minutes, maybe. Mm. And the fact that he just slotted in is superb, isn't it? Because the centre back, that's not the easiest position to come on in the middle of the game, particularly. So I was impressed with him, and he. He formed a good partnership with Jepson. It looks as if we've got a settled system now as well. Absolutely. We've obviously got three at the back. We've brought in the chief scout slash head of recruitment. I'm not quite sure in his exact title. But it looks as if they've recruited, like you said, Tom, for this system and players that can come in, play the system to exactly the same standard as the starting eleven. And I think Saturday was the perfect example of that. You've got injuries that you can't control. You've brought these players in. If anything, we looked even better. I think we're a different animal as well with this um, formation since the change. 3-5-2, 5-3-2, whatever you want to call it. You look fantastic, really. There's, there's no weakness in that team now either. Not at all. And Connor Coma was amazing first. Like, well, throughout the game, really, but creating all sorts, wasn't he? Like, a little wizard, really. Him and Gaz Pete. And then wing back positions either side. Mm. I think it really offers us something a bit different, really, because especially Gaz P, he can, he can defend as well. So, and we've all seen him bombing forward. And then Connor Coma seems to have adjusted really well to that wing back position. Little mistake from Gaz Pete, weren't it, for, for their goal? For, and it's not often you say that, is it, with Gaz this season? Yeah, he, w- he wouldn't have done that if he weren't, what, 6 0 up at the time? <laughs> yeah, so. showboating, wasn't he? <laughs> It's just ruined our stats now, hasn't it? I think we tweeted it earlier in the week. About five games, 23 goals scored, one conceded. If it, if it wasn't for that lapse of concentration, it'd be on zero. Not that it makes too much difference, and we'll let him off. It's funny because before the game, I was sitting with somebody who always predicts the score, and uh, he came out with 6-1, and I remember thinking, don't be over the top. <laughs> But, you know, we almost doubled it. It was crazy. Because at the start of the NAB tenure, there were a few complaints that the, the defence hasn't improved at all. And then it turned into, oh, we're not scoring enough. And, but you know, both took time to... You, you can't just change everything in terms of personnel, strategy, formation and expect it to work. And I think a few of the players you've had on sort of said there will be the odd game where it doesn't go right, like scam away. But mm. then you'll get the game like Van Oswick, you just completely blow them away. And these last two games now is just, I mean, you'd be terrified, wouldn't you, if you had Berry, you're playing Berry in the next game. Exactly what the fans want to see. It's not McDrab at all, is it? I mean, it's joy to watch. Hounded a bit on, on Twitter because I, I I defended us on the Skem game away. I said it wasn't actually as bad as it was on paper. I think we had something like 23 shots, didn't we? We only scored a penalty. And it was one of them games we could have played all day. 
Absolutely. It was so frustrating, wasn't it? We had so many shots on target, but <laughs> just couldn't make it work that day. And you can't you can come away from the game, don't you? Like I remember walking away from that and I were a bit disheartened really. When I watched the highlights back when they got posted, it was just we actually had so many shots we could have mm. won four games of football in it. I think their keeper got man of the match in the home fixture for them guys and then was it the same think, keeper? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, believe wow. it or not. Yeah, def- definitely didn't get a man of the match on Saturday. Um, obviously, we've, we've mentioned Colin Wilkinson coming in and a few of the other lads. Um, and obviously, we've, we've not mentioned Gilboy departing last week either. Gone, obviously, gone to FC United for an undisclosed fee. Mixed feelings, really. I, I think he potentially had something to offer. Looked like he lacked a bit of confidence for me at times. He could potentially be on about well, double-figure goals this season with with confidence for him because he always seems to get in the right positions. Those people that watch him at AFC were big fans of him as well. And what about you, Elliot? I know you watched AFC. What? How did you feel? Yeah, I think it's it's been a bit of a hangover from the AFC period for him. He started very well last season for AFC. I think he was on about 15 goals by November and seemed to have switched over to the left side under Welsh. And from there, his confidence just got shot at and never seems to have recovered. So... I think for people that never watched AFC and have, have have returned to Gig Lane this season, I could understand the frustration with him. As you said, you you can see something, but it's just not happened for him. It'd probably benefit him and us for a fresh start. He'll he'll probably go to FC United, and I wouldn't be surprised if he kicked on there and did well. I don't think there's any hard feelings. He's He's left on a decent note and it seems like he's, he's well-liked by the fans. It's it's just not worked out. And as we mentioned earlier, good competition for places now. You're bringing in players like Holland Wilkinson who come in and score a hat-trick. I don't think fans can really complain at the departure of Gilborn when you've got new players coming in doing that straight away. So It's hard to get too sentimental, isn't it, as well? A lot of fans who watched FC obviously took to him because he's not only have been a great player for them, but excellent off the field and getting to know all the fans and he's a lovely lad. So I think it was probably a bit a bit more of that as well. In terms of his form for Barry this season, there certainly were glimpses. You know, there did look like times where he could kick on. I think the formation doesn't help him. I think he is a he's more of a true winger from what I've seen anyway. And the three five two I wouldn't have thought suits him too well. And maybe like Connor Comba's been more adaptable, hasn't he? You know, he's he's played more positions. He's sort of he's had a great game wherever he McNabb has put him. So that that's probably the main one of the main differences. But like you say, it sometimes happens, doesn't it? Barry, over the years, we've signed some players who you think are great signing. They do they don't do as well as you'd expect. And then they go on to the next club and they they're brilliant again. And sometimes mm-hmm. it just it just doesn't work. From what McNabb was saying at the Q and A, there's no hard feelings. You know the tried to fit him in and everything, but he was under contract. If we've got a bit of money, then that's a little bit of a bonus, I think. Yeah, by all accounts, we've got a bit of money for him and I'm assuming we've not had to pay him out of that contract. I think it's a good result for, for both parties. He can move on, play at a decent level and probably start most weeks and we've made some money out of him. So we move on. Obviously, the 10-1 game on Saturday marred slightly towards the end. I'm not going to say... Spoilt because I didn't come away talking about that. I came up 
home with a smile on my face saying we scored 10 goals. Obviously, there was an incident at the end of the game. We're going through a, a stage at the minute as a club, aren't we, where we are under the spotlight slightly, especially with the appeal going on for the stadium ban. And it's the, the statements come out, hasn't it, about alcohol being banned within the games, players warned not to celebrate towards the fans in that corner, towards A block. How are we feeling about that, everyone? It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? I know that we've got uh, some things we're trying to appeal. So I think it was important that the club makes some kind of statement. My gut reaction seems to tally with what a lot of people are saying in that it seems a little bit potentially too much to, you know, punish three and a half thousand people for the actions of two or three people. I can see that it appeases the FA in a situation where we are appealing. But was it a little bit knee-jerk when you perhaps could have some evidence that could suggest who the, the people causing the issues were and perhaps... Action, appropriate action there could be taken. It's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I don't necessarily have an issue with the measures they've put in place and how quickly after the game, because like you touched on, Kate, they've got to appease the FA, almost look to be dealing with it during the appeal process. So I think in the interim, it's probably a wise decision to, to put their measures in place whilst the appeal process is being dealt with. However, I think it would be a kick in the teeth if it was a longer-term thing and also they didn't deal with those that were involved because I think from looking on social media, it's quite clear who it is. Obviously, we're not going to name names or anything like that on here, but they need to be dealt with. And then I think later down the line, once the appeal's uh, concluded, I think we need to look at a more sensible approach going forward because I don't think it's sustainable to not involve not have alcohol that's one of the perks of non-league I'm not saying people can't do without it for 90 minutes but at the end of the day it's a social event as well so I, I, I just think at the minute it's the right decision but it will need reviewing very very soon yeah, it's a money spinner as well isn't it, it brings in revenue that's the other thing with it as well my opinion I think Decision that they've done is a right one. However, I do think they've kind of gone over the top because of that tomb game ban. And I do feel that if that wasn't in, then it probably would have been a caution and, and gone from there. So, you know, the club's got to be seen to be doing something, hasn't it? But it's tough, isn't it? It's going to, it's going to divide opinion across the board, isn't it? Depends what your priorities are. And, you know, it does seem to be that they want to I don't know. They must think they've got a decent case on appeal then, because obviously if they thought this was going to happen anyway, the two games are gone, this might seem a bit heavy-handed, but the long-term thing must be, we've got to get out of this league, we can't afford any more points deductions or real disadvantages like two games without those amazing fans. I mean, that will be a big blow to the players as well. I still bat them. You know, remember in the, the first season with COVID, if you remember, like Liverpool won the league when all the fans were outside the stadium, weren't they? So... I think I don't think it's a write-off, but you've you've got the sort of obviously people who went to watch AFC, they're used to being able to have a drink sort of around walking around, but that's not quite the same when you come to gig. I mean, how many stadiums and levels of crowd have got alcohol? Walk people walking around with alcohol. There's very few. I think someone was saying maybe Oldham and Rochdale are the only ones in the area apart from us now, especially at our level. 
But I mean, the, the other thing you'd say is that I think people who are getting drunk at the games, they're already drunk by the time they come in. I mean, I, d I don't know how many more drinks within the stadium is is making a difference. And of course, we don't we don't know enough about the incident. We don't know whether this person or these people were drunk. We don't know whether they were drunk because of stuff they had at the stadium. But it is that it's seen to be a, a, an actual proactive thing they're doing. You know, if, if they just sort of gave a warning or gave a statement, they think that might not be enough. So to actually do something proactive, long term, I think that maybe if we can have a review, hopefully after we've gone up, go back to it being the same as it was or the same as it is at the moment currently, where you can get alcohol. Because it's not, it's not the most important thing to me, certainly. And you can go to Starkey's, of course, before... Um, and after the game, and you can go to a pub before. So it's not it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's just a bit regrettable, I think. One thing that doesn't necessarily help is it's not so much the alcohol in the stadium. They, they touched upon it in the in the statement, and I think uh, a few board members have mentioned it on Twitter. It's the fact people congregate at that top corner of the south stand, which potentially is true, but then also we've had a bottle bar in that top corner you're almost inviting people to to stand up there. So if they were to review alcohol sales, then maybe remove that bottle bar from that corner and tell people that they've got to stay seated when they've when they've got a beer, essentially. Otherwise everyone of course everyone's gonna stand near the bar because what do people do when they're naturally having a beer? They gravitate to the bar so they can get it on tap. Uh, I think that was a bit of a own goal putting that up there and I think that that corner for as long as I remember um, especially towards the end of the game you go and stand in that corner to beat the rush and I think that's happened it, for years hasn't yeah, it yeah that's what I mean yeah and then I think with it didn't help that we scored like three or four goals in like 88th minute plus did it that when everyone's people excited were naturally leaving. Mm. yeah and people are just stood you know there's a whole host of things and you know, we, we we mentioned Taurus, didn't we? And they don't know the history of the club and people standing there and why people do it. And, and they kind of just see a crowd of 300 people stood in front of them, charging towards them when we score a goal. So it's, you know, it, it's tough, isn't it? It is. But obviously in this new era as well, a lot of the people that stand there are young people, perhaps young people that have been given free season tickets that are loving the interaction that they get with the players. And to take that away risks losing quite a lot of new fans, really, because a lot of the kids go for that kind of thing and they stay behind afterwards to get the autographs and stuff like that. And if they can't do that anymore, they perhaps lose that, that element of excitement and contact that's the pull for them. Yeah, it's a fine line. I think, well, Tom mentioned it just then. It's, it's not necessarily alcohol that's causing all this. There is children at the front who obviously are just there to enjoy themselves. But it, like you say, if there's a big group of people congregating towards the end of the games, the security company may well look at that and be a bit intimidated by it when ultimately it's just kids having fun seeing the heroes because that's what they are I know the northwest counties but to them they're their idols and I think it just needs managing I don't know if it it's been brewing for a few months with uh, Taurus I think they did slightly reduce their presence I think it needs a meeting between them and the club to to work out the best way going forward because I, 
I don't think there's a innocent party in either of this. I think I think it's something that they need to work on together. Absolutely. And what you know, you've got to remember it happened, I think, when we were nine one up, I think. And yeah. when can you ever say we were nine one up? So if ever people are going to get a little bit excited and happy and want to t- celebrate a little bit <laughs> in an unusual way, if they've had a drink because there's a beer tent there, I don't think for a second anyone was looking to cause any kind of trouble. It was all celebratory type behaviour, I would suggest. We spoke about Taurus and, and the people there, but also, just for me, don't run on the pitch. Like, Yeah, you know. I mean, I'd, you I'd, don't. It's a risk, isn't it, obviously, and it isn't what you should do. There's probably, Taurus have to look at themselves, the 99.9% of fans can go without running the pitch and there's always tiny percentage, isn't there? And just unfortunate that the, he did it and someone reacted and, and here we are having this conversation. But I think stay off the pitch, it doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I agree. And as you said, ultimately, 99.9% of the fans enjoyed Saturday and enjoyed it in the right way. So I, I don't think we should let it spoil uh, what was a record-breaking win for us. It's it's a case of sucking it up now and, and getting on with what's been enforced on us and proving that we can get back to what was before or an improved version of that. I mean, the fans now, they're going to be more up for it than ever, aren't they? I mean, you can't... The fact that they almost feel aggrieved and they feel like victims... We've just won 10-1 and 6-0. You never want to go to a game more than you do now. So I don't think it'll have a, an effect of putting people off going to the games. If there was something like an unsavoury brawl in the stands between fans and opposition fans or something, that might put families off, obviously bringing the kids and everything. But this is this just seems to be an isolated incident, as far as I know. It just seems to be one incident. Although there's one argument to say, let, let's be seen to be doing something to appease the FA and the authorities. It needn't affect anything of the atmosphere of the game. And I hope that, like you say, Kate, it doesn't kill that vibe between the players and the, the supporters, especially the youngsters, because I think it was mentioned again at the Q&A that perhaps there hasn't been as much of that maybe since the start of the season. Maybe that's partly the weather and the, the fact we haven't had as many home games and some of them in on a Tuesday night when there wouldn't be as many youngsters. It's difficult to do, to again, the fine line of if you have everyone congregating, waiting for autographs and also trying not to cause anything that could potentially annoy the FA. And, you know, because people are watching us. People are rightly or wrongly gunning for us and we've already seen the punishments we've had. It's worth mentioning, brilliant for Armin and uh, Farley's mm-hmm. to be on the case with the appeal. I think that for the this posed too much too much supporters ban. I mean, there's so many things going on. <laughs> this is all in the last few weeks, isn't it? It's all this year. I think that's worth mentioning as well. We've we've got a good firm on it in Farley's. The, yeah. the club are obviously confident that we could potentially get the appeal over overturned by appointing Farley's the the reputable reputable company so i think as fans we've got a responsibility to do our bit now and and just be behave ourselves and like i said i know 99 percent of us do and then fingers crossed we can leave farley and harming to deal with it i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing with that <laughs> <laughs> depends what mood it is <laughs>
one thing that we've kind of spoke about and that we'd like to mention is social media in general. We've got a few accounts at the minute, basically just stirring the pot, haven't they? And going out of the way to try and get reaction off people. We've kind of got to a stage now where what's going on isn't helping anyone. I think it probably two weeks ago now, the Bricknell account obviously mentioned something, which was bang out of order, to be honest, wasn't it? And luckily they've they've gone away. They've they've disappeared. Uh, their account has been deactivated. Um, but it just seems at the minute that there's a few people who set on division, aren't they, and just kind of trying their hardest, kind of stop us going in the right direction. The right direction clearly is is unity, isn't it? Everybody voted for a merger. And by merger, that means that everyone that lost Berry Football Club on the 27th of August 2019, who dealt with it differently, some of us watched AFC, some of us didn't, comes together again as one club, Berry Football Club. So really, on the basis of all that, it's that simple. And if anyone can't grasp that and understand that those people have always supported Berry. And that those years when Berry Football Club weren't playing and the AFC were playing and some people were enjoying that, was just a short spell of time. And now we're Berry Football Club again. And I think we really need to focus on that and be a unified fan base. And we need people at the board to work towards that. And we need everybody to be on you know on the same page with that and I think it's really important that we make it a safe space for all of us no matter what we did in the you know the four years when there wasn't football at gig you know it's really important whether you watched AFC or you didn't we were all Berry fans in 2019 we're all Berry fans now and we need to just respect each other's opinions. doesn't matter what somebody did in the, the four-year period or didn't do. We're going forward and we need to go forward together. You know, these people that are hell-bent on division, it's bitter and it's pointless. I agree, Kate. And I, I, do, I mean, I do see some myself as someone who's tried to go between the two sides as were. You know, there isn't two sides anymore. Often what happens is you get pelters from both sides that happened all the way through with these fake accounts you know i had death threats from people who were like hey if you bring afc if you let afc have any say in this you know you got death threats and then the opposite side got loads of abuse so i always say you know you're doing something right if you're offending absolutely everybody <laughs> but no it, it wasn't pleasant and it, and it goes on now you know there's there's a lot of division with how the clubs run and everything and people will not listen to each side of the argument. And I think that's right, Kate, that we've got to respect everyone's views, even if we don't agree with them. Absolutely. We are all Barry fans. You know, we used to sit alongside each other. Let's not forget all the great times we had. I mean, up till 2019, I mean, what a season that was. And, that was and what every, every single Barry fan has to remember is that no, no one of us is bigger than Barry Football Club and what it's always been to the community of Barry since 1885. And that goes for everybody that sits on the board, everybody, everywhere. And we're just custodians while we're alive. Do you know what I mean? And we've got responsibility to do this properly so that 100 years from now, people are watching Berry Football Club. I think it's worth mentioning, when you come down to the match, my personal experience is very positive. I think everyone seems to get on. I think the big issue is social media. 
it's going back to that. The club need to do something to to push that and to try and stamp it out. I think you you get down to the ground and it's a it's it's a nice positive experience. I don't think anyone's ever called me a rat whilst I'm at gig lane, <laughs> but it's amazing. Everybody gets called a rat on social media or like you say, Tom, you, you've gone between both sides. Really, you'll get abuse, but I, I think. 99% of the time it's on social media yeah of course it is. it's 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 faceless accounts it, it, it i don't know how it's sorted but somehow the club need to look at doing some sort of drive to stamping it out because that's what's causing the Absolutely. division ultimately and what's quite disturbing about all that is that largely speaking it's grown adults behind fake accounts spreading you know particularly when you mention a certain account that posted something so horrendous to a man who's essentially dying. Yeah. I mean, that's the lowest of the low, and it's a grown man individual doing that. <laughs> I can't get my head around it. And like you said, we're we're not bigger than the football club. We've touched on it already in this podcast. We've got children and families coming down to the game. They're having time of their lives. They're oblivious to all this. We've got a responsibility to create a football club that's sustainable for for children like that, not for people on Twitter behind a fake account abusing a sick man, a poorly man. It's 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 beyond belief. I think the board it's not very FC. The board have got to lead by example, haven't they? They've got to yeah. yeah. Another statement would would work. I know they can't get involved with every single. If say they'd come out and done something about this Gareth Britnell, that just invites more and more. It? You know, for everyone that put an awful comment, I mean, they'd be doing statements every day, wouldn't they? And some, you know, some of the abuse I've got are from real people and uh, people I know, but then often when you, like you say, Elliot, when you see them at gig, like, you're right, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, isn't it? And I like, I like to deep down. There's a lot of hurt. People don't mean it. The worst thing is the cowardly hiding behind these fake accounts so they can just, you know, they might not even believe what they say. They might genuinely just be trying to do it to get fans wound up and divided against each other. And it works a lot of the time, but it is still a tiny minority. You know, you look at the votes to merge. How, what, 90-odd percent, 95% at least from both societies voted for it in the end. You know, come on, that's, that's an overwhelming number of the fans who want... A unified fan base. Got Berry FC back at gig. We're scoring goals left, right, and centre. So let's get on with watching our football team. Thank you very much. Amen. Tom, I know you mentioned uh, you were at the Matnab forum. How how was it? Was it good to see him talk in person? I think he always comes across really well on interviews and social media, especially. He seems to be very proactive and always very positive. How was it? I honestly thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a, a brilliant idea. Perhaps there should have been more of that in the summer, you know, when we could have had, if Andy Welsh had had like an open fans forum. I know he always was very good fans and he always met with them when he could, but maybe something like that. Uh, to be fair, Starkey's wasn't open then, was it? It wasn't really, it wasn't really anywhere particularly we could have had it. But yeah, it was, it was fantastic. He's a very affable guy, isn't he? You know, he's a very friendly guy as it is. He's very open, he's very honest. And I think in Tim Lees, he's got an absolute, we've got an absolute top coach there. He was really impressive. It's not just his knowledge of the game and all these stats and the formations that he put up. The man managers, both of them, they, they sort of said, we're going to have some players who, yes, might have been brilliant in the past or might have been brilliant at the previous club, but if they don't fit in here, 
and don't get on with our system and don't get on with the lads, then you know they, they won't fit in and then it's going to be more difficult for them. And I think I, I think I said it in commentary on Saturday that someone like Charlie Doyle, his job, he's driving all hours, he's going all over the country, he's coming back, he's hardly slept. They've got to factor in things like that in terms of players' tiredness. So they did they've done amazing stats on fatigue and how many yeah, so they do, you know, how much distance they've run in each game. And it was always the case where if someone was dropping off a bit, there was a jolly good reason like it might have been that. Or somebody, you know, pe- people have got jobs, haven't they? You know, and they've got young families. It's that fine balance again between wanting a proper professional club and understanding that the players aren't, you know, their lives are very different to professional footballers. But in in Dave and Tim, I think we've got pretty much professional standard manager and coaching at this ground. And the, the presentation was wonderful. The case could probably, I don't know whether you can remember, some of the stats they brought up. It was unbelievable. I was so impressed with the amount of work they'd put into that presentation. And I was blown away, really, with how professionally they did it, factoring in everything that you've said, the fact that these are people with full-time jobs. That David that- Knapp's got a full-time job. <laughs> absolutely running some kind of IT yeah. firm or something, but managed to, A, produce that amazing presentation with all those incredible stats. And it honestly it just made me feel so hopeful for the potential we've got. And obviously the team we have now could play at a much higher level. It's so easy to forget that they've got full-time jobs, isn't it? When you watch them, like we did on Saturday, win 10-1, it's insane training twice a week, not having had a game for two weeks. <laughs> for those that didn't go, what to put you on the spot, was there any insights, uh, anything that stood out to you that McNabb and Lees spoke about specifically? I was quite impressed with sort of, not only with like talking about changing the tactics mid-game and stuff like that, but also mainly what he was sort of saying about the sort of team bonding and the sort of the way they cared for the lads, like you were saying about Charlie Doyle driving around and them factoring that thing in and the welfare that they put into it all and the fact that it reminded me of before we were thrown out of the league and the kind of team mentality that Ryan Lowe had instilled. He's kind of got going on there, but with a really good kind of welfare thing to look after the team and a great set of lads. And like you were explaining, because I was saying to him, oh, I love Jordi and Saka, where's he gone? And he essentially said he didn't really fit in terms of A, the way they played and B, into that kind of model of being cared for. And uh, do you see what I'm saying? It was just incredible. Mm -hmm. The fun interaction as well. So there was an Mm -hmm. interval for about 15 minutes and Dave was just doing the room, chatting to everybody. He came and sat on our table and was having a chat. He was brilliant. Yeah, so open and... (laughs) There's some stuff he probably told us that probably better not say because it was very, it's quite revealing about certain players and why they might have left the club. Yeah. Um, and some that he thought, oh, well, it looks like I've got rid of them, but it was actually their decision. You know, that that kind of thing. Overall, very impressive. And the stats he put on, the the fact that we've, you know, the, the, the points per game, and they actually did an interesting one where if we continue on the same points per game, since they've took over, we'll get this many points. And then they did a thing where if you allowed us a month to, you know, bed in, get our players in and everything, since then, the points we game has been insane. You know, it's ridiculous. Mm. If you, if we're going at that same rate, we're going to get over 100 points. 
no one has needed that many to be, you know, finish top of the division. So it was very, you came away, Kate, and you very, it was very, yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah. And also, he was talking sort of like how he would love to keep this role, get us to a certain point, and then pass it on in a healthy state to a better manager that can then propel us back into the league. You know, he had long term ambition, really, didn't it? And what really impressed me about it really was his honesty, the transparency, and the openness. And I'd love to see the same from the board. I really would. I think that would go, you know, a million miles in terms of the unity that we need at this club. That that kind of thing that would just make everything feel in harmony for everybody, no matter what they did in the four years in between coming back to Gig Lane. I think that's a big thing. Not everything's going to be plain sailing, but we're a fan-owned club. And I think it'd go a long way if we continued events like that. So... Even if McNabb did regular Q and A's uh, from from the football perspective, and then the board do similar, it, that transparency would be appreciated by the fan base. Even if it's not necessarily that what we want to hear, it, yeah. it's I just think it's an important aspect of being a, a fan run football club. Exactly, and you know you've got to remember that that board was voted in by the fans, and so it's important that the entire board can meet with fans together around a table so that we can see them because I would love to know more about the people that ran AFC because I've never met them or heard what they have to say so I'd love to hear what they've got to say and how they plan to build an inclusive club and engage with the benefactors. I think in person as well if Dave McNabb's talk had been online or on Zoom it just wouldn't have been the same you know they've had a PowerPoint from Tim Lees and then hang on go back I don't know it's much better in person and even in, under the old days when we had, you know, when my dad was on the board and then Ian Harrop and everybody, you know, you have to do an in-person meet AGM every year. And they got pelters. They really did. They, You know, mm. there was open time for question and answer. And you usually got the same the same people asking you awkward questions. And you knew that it was coming up. I won't, again, I won't name any names. But it's it's been great to see those guys back, even though they were quite difficult. But that's, you know, you remember like the Blackwell one, don't you? I mean, that was insane, wasn't it, at this social club? The problem is, I think they're a bit worried about it getting ugly because of the history and everything. I can understand that. At some point, someone's going to have to be brave enough and take the risk, I think. And after we've got promoted, I really do think that'll... It, I'm saying that very cockily, I know. I do think we'll get promoted, one way or the other. But I think that'll heal the fan base even. I hope so. All of us tell us how we're feeling about the rest of the season. Predictions, how we're going to win the league, things like that. We're in a good position, aren't we? We're second, we've got games in hand and we've just won 10-1. So how can you go, oh, it's all going to go wrong after you've just won 10-1, you know? I like to think that promotion is achievable. Certainly, I felt much more confident than when I last appeared on a podcast, having heard from... Dave McNabb, really, in terms of his tactics and what has ensued since then and the level of, you know, how free scoring we were on Saturday and the way we're playing and the quality of our subs on the bench on Saturday. Losing two key players really early on in that game and then winning 10-1, you know, it's hard to think of anything but promotion, really, isn't it? I think we've got two games that stand out to me instantly it's the Wivenshaw game and the Presswich Hayes game 
if we can come out of them with six points, I'm very confident. I think based on current form, there's no reason why we shouldn't do. Like I said, five games, five wins, 23 goals scored, one goal conceded. Dave McNabb touched on it about it needing time to bed in. I think Benito Lowe touched on it on our podcast that McNabb came in and said it will take time. And I think everything he said has come to fruition. So I'm I'm confident that uh, we'll we'll get promoted. Yeah, we've also got loads of our games are at home, aren't they? That's another massive advantage. Yes, two of them might be behind closed doors, but I think come the end of the season we'll get some really big gates when it's getting to that stage where we need a big win. I do think we've turned the corner now. If you look now at the form recently, it's it's a good run of wins. Defense is intact, and as you say, the big worry was those two guys getting injured. And goodness me, we've got some great replacements now. And there's people like Sam Burns who comes on. You know, it's a great squad. The young lad Hobson couldn't even get on the bench. It's good times, I think. And I'm I'm very confident. Yeah, I think I've said on every episode of the podcast I've been on that it comes down to the Withenshaw game. I was actually doing a bit of maths last week and I'd be amazed if we didn't do it. I really would. <laughs> With Top, he's put together a great team and... You know, you watch us, I went to Lidl and watched us dismantle them 6-0 and I thought that class on that pitch as well, absolutely shocking. And then <laughs> 10-1, you know, I've, I've I've watched two Bury games in the past three weeks and we've scored 16 goals. Like, it's never, ever been heard of, especially uh, while I have been a fan. So, you know, I can't see any other outcome, to be honest, and I'll put my head on the line. So, Saturday, we are away at Pilkington. A little reminder, that, do you have a national tough pitch, Pilkington? Is it you do, a- yes. Yeah, so it's an all-weather pitch. So, I know we're usually rubbish on all-weather pitches, aren't we, at the minute? But I'm going to stick my head out, and I'm going to say 4-0 to us. Briggs 2, Daniels 2. That's my prediction. I'm going to say 3-1. Briggs 1, low 2. Yeah, normally I'd be a bit conservative, but conservative now would be like 5 0, wouldn't it? After <laughs> just Holland Wilkinson and the attackers we've got, Briggs and Daniels, there's so many goals all over the pitch. I think I'll, I always just don't want to be too, too overconfident. I think maybe we will concede this time, but I think maybe 4 1 as well. I'm going to be sensible 2 0, Daniels yeah. 1. And I'm going to say Holland Wilkinson will get another. I'm not going if we're only scoring two goals. Not bothering. <laughs> Shake a shout out this week. There's only one thing we can give it to, isn't it? And that is the under-23s for their fantastic achievement of winning the league. Absolutely bossed it, haven't they? I've not lost a game. Uh, well, sorry, won every game. Not even drawn any. Absolutely flying. Sass and Leanne have done top job, haven't they? Yeah, they were great when they managed us for a yeah. couple of games. And we've had a couple of their lads play in the first team haven't we something I didn't really think of when obviously we came back in the summer at this level you can't you don't have enough money or you don't have the resources for an under 23s necessarily so to have them existing is brilliant and to have them flourishing is even better so I'm I think long term that's something that wasn't really mentioned when we were chucked out of the league in the EFL it wasn't just the professionals that lost the jobs it was the the youngsters and the, all the entire youth set up and the coaches and the academy coaches and everything. So to have them back is really important and it's something that Berry fans have always had a strong connection with. They've always liked our young players and we've had a lot of good players come from our youth system over the years. Some of them have gone on to play for England even, you know. So 
I think long may it continue and absolutely first rate from the lads and I bet they'll be looking forward to next season already. We're going to finish with our shake on it. Tom, you're in the spotlight this week. We were wondering about dropping something in during commentary, something that you wouldn't normally say. We've had a couple of suggestions. Someone said baller. I said slay. Unbelievable tackers. Unbelievable tech, yeah. I mean, I don't tend to... I try not to use cliches other than doing them deliberately as overly, overly cliche. So, Could you use an Alan Partridge yes. commentary type? Uh, <laughs> that is first class. <laughs> I, I might have used one before, potentially, but you've, you've got to cater to the audience, don't you? These are fans who just want to know, uh, sorry, where's the ball? Have we scored yet? That's all they're interested in. <laughs> and I think you don't... Like you don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you've got to make it to the highlight selection as well, with it? Yeah, well, that's out of my control. I will try and come up with something really boring and really annoying in the meantime. I don't know when I'm on next, to be honest, when I'm commentating next, but believe you me, you'll, you'll be aware of what that word is. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it as a surprise for you guys. Next part, you'll have to... We'll, we'll do a bit of a quiz if we can guess which one it is. Yeah. What three? Well, you, you're all at the game, so you're not listening, so... <laughs> that's true you might, unless we'll it's on the highlights we'll have to be on the highlights yeah we'll have to have a word with Johnny about getting in the highlights yeah, as well good idea <laughs> right okay and that brings us to the end of episode 10 of the Mighty Shakers podcast thank you very much for listening thank you Tom Elliot and Kate for being with us tonight thank you thank you